episode of Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am your jolly co-host, James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And we've just finished trimming the tree. We've got the bucket cocoa nice and hot. We are ready for the holidays. Indeed we are. And what better way to celebrate the season than unwrap a big old box of Hellstrom Watch. <laughs> Okay, so, not a whole lot of new Marvel news right now. Um, bits and pieces of things. Um, Tom Holland says he really wants to do a Spider-Man-Yelena Belova team-up, because of course he does, why wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. And we should point out, by the time you guys hear this episode, Spider-Man No Way Home will be out in theaters, if you've braved the post-apocalyptic wasteland we currently live in and got out to a theater right. and seen it. Also, also Hawkeye will have finished. Yeah. Uh, but we're recording this before that, so right. we've not seen Spider-Man. Right. So you can expect our reactions to that when our next episode drops. Yeah, when our next, yeah exactly. But we, we, will, we promise we will talk about the end of Hawkeye and we will talk about No Way Home but you're going to have to wait one more episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't apologize for that. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, can't talk about what we haven't seen. I, I do not have a time machine. Um, we, we can't just sneak into Doctor Doom's castle and steal his. My parents used to say, if you're really sorry, you won't do it again. And I mean, come on, I'll do it again. <laughs> All day, every day. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, yes, obviously. A Spider-Man Black Widow team up would be cool. Yeah, but yeah. Yelena Belova show Yelena Belova should show up in all Marvel things from now on. Is basically where I'm at. Yeah, and we'll get more into that later. Uh, yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, also, the Russo brothers, who of course directed uh, Captain America: Civil War and Avengers: Infinity War and Avengers: Endgame. I think I've heard of those guys. Uh, yeah, and, uh, did they do Winter Soldier? Yeah, they did Winter Soldier. Well, no, 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 no. They did um, the show called Community. Right. Yeah, right, right, yeah that's, right. that's where I know them from, I mean. Sure, sure. Well, they have a new documentary series coming to the Roku channel uh, December 24th, so Christmas Eve. And it is called Slugfest. Ooh. And it's about the decades-long rivalry between DC and Marvel Comics. Yep, so if you're one of those lucky people out there, not me... Who has a Roku, you can check that out. Right, right. And I, I imagine it will become available in other formats eventually. Mm-hmm. But but it is debuting on Roku Channel. There you go. I, I've read the book it's based off of. It's, it's a pretty good book. Mm. Uh, it's, That's good. It's, it's no, you know, untold history of the Marvel Universe. Untold history? Untold history of yeah. Marvel Universe, but uh, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've talked about that before. That is, like, the gold standard of comics history books I think I read as it like far as like three times at this point yeah 
Yeah. Like I say, I, I can't remember if I've told this story when we're recording or not before, but I read that back-to-back with Grant Morrison's Super Gods, and that was just a lot of fun. I need. I still need to read Super Gods. It's good, because Morrison... One, there's a whole section about Morrison jumping between Marvel and DC in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Because remember, they did New X-Men right after the X-Men movies hit it big. Yeah. Um, and totally revamped the X-Men line. Had Scott Summers um, cheat on Gene. Yeah, uh, and and uh, the Zorn character showed up. Uh, I think Xavier got killed off again. Um it was. I, I personally really enjoy Morrison's X Men run. They, they did that run, and then immediately jumped to DC and started doing I think Batman like soon after that. Yeah, that that checks out. So, so yeah. Um, and, and of course Morrison has a really interesting take, uh, philosophical take on comics in general, but specifically on what makes characters like Superman and Batman really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally find their argument about Superman as originally being this kind of revolutionary hero of the people very persuasive. Ooh. Like, anti-capitalist, anti-business, anti-corruption. Like, if you look back at the early Golden Age Superman stories, until they went really sci-fi... That was that was where that book was. Okay, I really do need to check that out now. I have to find a copy, maybe. Um, and 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 of course, as as the Silver Age hits, uh, Superman stops being that and becomes more of like this super father figure, you know. And, and a lot of that's because of the TV series and the radio show. Yeah, I get that. So, but yeah, so Super Gods by Grant Morrison, really good book. Uh, Nothing to do with the the Slugfest, but but Slugfest uh, is also based on a book about comics history. So yeah, Slugfest. Um, and let's see, we've got a new Marvel animated series hitting. Uh, this is produced by Lawrence Fishburne, who also will voice the character of the Beyonder in it. Whoa. And and it is. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. We're talking Elvis white suit wearing Jerry Curl Beyonder, right? I I imagine so. They might redesign the character, but but yes, Lawrence Fishburne is playing the Beyonder in Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Okay. Animated. Yeah, I, I get that, but I mean, if he ends up wearing the white Elvis suit and having the Jerry Curl, <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> that that is your sticking point for this series. Like, I mean. Okay, you showed me the footage before we start recording. It looks interesting. It's yeah. very stylized. I f- it, it's got kind of a Teen Titans Go vibe as far as the visuals. Yeah, yeah. And it's lo- kind of super cartoony. Looks interesting. Yeah. Oh, which reminds me, have you seen the, the, the trailer for the new Spider-Verse movie? Yeah, we didn't talk about we that. That's right, no. Spider-Verse. Part one. Yeah, it, it looks good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our listeners are like, um, oh, it just looks good. Okay. Well, okay, let's talk about it this way. It looks like they're going a little more stylized with their cartoon style. I mean, the first movie was stylized to begin with. It looks like they're going to be even more stylized this time around. So I have I have thoughts on that. Okay. I think what they're doing is that they're actually, this is in continuity with the design of the first movie. Insofar as the different timelines, the different realities, each has their own visual style. Okay. Um, so, like, 
Spider-Man Noir was all black and white and, and looked like a, a noir comic, um, like a crime book. Um, uh, Spider-Ham had the very cartoony Looney Tunes style aesthetic. Um, uh, Perry Parker and the spider robot uh, had the very sort of anime style look. Well, what we see outside of uh, Miles' bedroom, what we see in this trailer is in 2099. And it looks like what they're doing is a very, like, 90s cyberpunk... Do you remember the Eon Flux cartoon shorts from the 90s? Yes. That were on, I think they were on MTV at the time. Yes, I hated them, but okay. Um, but, but they had that very sort of stylized, everything was kind of stretchy and the proportions weren't exactly right. That's kind of the vibe I get from the animated 2099 that we see in the trailer. Gotcha. And so I think that's what they're doing, is there there is a very distinctive visual style that will be used for that version of the future. Which I'm here for. I, I think it I think it suits that that uh it suits the twenty ninety nine world. Okay. Quick so- And also we've got Os- we've got Oscar Isaac as uh Miguel O'Hara, uh, which makes me very happy. Oh uh, he, he's he's one of the best Oscars, I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, quick side. Yeah. yeah, I guess you could say I'm I'm over the moon for Oscar Isaac right oh. now. Oh, oh, good night, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So so yeah. I, I mean, I think I'm on the record that Miguel O'Hara, the Spider-Man 2099, is one of my all-time favorite Spider-Man. Okay. Yeah. Like. But he. Like, he started up right around the time both, I think, you and I started reading comic books. Yeah. And... Yeah, because that was like, that was like 91, 92, I think. Yeah. Peter David did Spidey 2099. Yep. And I remember buying the first issue of Spider-Man 2099 in the old Heroes and Dragons. Oh, yeah, yeah, Like, and and I'm sorry for all the people here who uh, don't remember aren't local to our area and don't know what the hell Heroes and Dragons is. But for those of you who do, this was the old, this was the pre-huge warehouse location. Not even like the strip mall location. This was a location like either in an old or next to an old Chinese restaurant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where I bought that book. With my um, and for those who are unaware, Heroes and Dragons was and continues to be one of the best comic shops in the southeast. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and uh, uh, so I got the first. I also had the first issue, and I so I didn't have a local comic shop when I was a kid. I've talked about that. There was no comic shop in in my hometown. Um. So my comics either would come from grocery stores, uh, bookstore spinner racks, which were also out of town. There were no bookstores in my hometown. Gas either, station but, spinner racks. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, there was it, but but this one in particular came from the newsstand on Main Street because until I was about ten or eleven, there was a newsstand on on Main Street in my hometown, and they would stock Spider-Man, Batman, Archie, X-Men. Did I tell you? I think I've told you a story before that my dad's favorite bar had a 
shared a building with a comic book shop. Yes, you have mentioned that. It, it yes. started as a comic shop, and then when comics stopped being profitable, uh, it turned into a video rental <laughs> store. And then just the bar absorbed it, and it became a dining area. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and, and so I didn't have a regular comic shop as a kid. I, I've uh, the, the nearest town would have comic shops pop up, exist for a year or two, and then fail. Um, there was one called Heroes for a while that I went to. I liked them a lot because uh, with them, if you were a kid, you could take in your all-A's report card and get uh, like three or four free comics from the back issue bin. Nice! Yeah, yeah. Um, so I got all kinds of like weird 80s and 90s DC back issues that were wildly inappropriate for children uh, via a, a report card. Uh, like, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Matt Wagner, the creator of Grendel, uh, did a three-part Batman Legends of the Dark Knight story. Wildly inappropriate for children, but it had amazing art. Um, but yeah, so anyway, long story short, uh, Spider-Man 2099 is, is a character that we both love, in part because he is of our time, if that makes sense. Like, he was he was there right when we were getting into comics, so... Yeah. It, yeah. It, and, and on it, as a, as a kid, I... I had a fair amount of Spider-Man comics. Most of them did not directly involve Peter Parker. The Spider-Man comics I read when I was younger, for the most part, either featured Miguel O'Hara or Ben Riley. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and, and I feel like Ben Riley is a, a heavier lift than Miguel O'Hara, even in a Spider-Verse movie. Yeah, although if we ever actually saw like the Ben Riley Scarlet Spider costume in a movie, mm -hmm. I would absolutely lose it. Yes, yes. Like the the blue hoodie yes. with the the red bodysuit. Yes, yes. I would um, absolutely lose it. I mean, I I lost it just because Peter's homemade suit in the MCU is basically a color inverted version of it. Yes, it is, and it's a great suit. It, it, it makes is. total sense. Yep, I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah. So so uh, across the Spider Verse Part One, the biggest thing is that it's a Part One. That they are already planning a third. That they're going to make this a trilogy. Is, yes, is awesome. So that is interesting, and 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 it raises the possibility of way more alternate Spideys. Yes, it also means we're probably going to get a cliffhanger. Oh yeah, for sure. Like for sure. This this is gonna be this is gonna be the Empire Strikes Back of the Spider Verse. Yeah, and you know, remember how like everybody was like, oh, I can't believe Infinity War left ended on a cliffhanger. Well, yeah, we knew it was gonna end on a cliffhanger because originally it was called it was a part one. Yeah, originally it was called Infinity War Part One, and eventually Disney's yeah. like, um, maybe we should change that uh, and uh, not tip our hand too much. I'm oh, sorry, that's wrong. Was oh gee, maybe we should change that. Not tip our hand too much. What do you think? Kevin, what do you think, Kevin? <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to watch out for the Mickey Mouse Mafia. <laughs> they're, they're they're not tracksuit guys, but they're close. I mean, bro, you think we should maybe talk about it? Is it done, bro? I I, I think it's time, bro. All right, bro. Lower the spoiler gate, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
guys. So with that um, prodacious uh, segue, we're going to go ahead and talk. It's time to talk about some hot guys. Hot guys, yeah. Mm. Mm. Episode five dropped as of the time of this recording. Uh, it, 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 it's good. It's real good. It's real good. It, this might have been my favorite episode so far of the series. Yeah. And it, it's a slow episode, actually. It's a fairly... It, is, it doesn't have... Because last episode had the big car chase. Yeah. Which was also really, really good. Um, and had the, the Pim Arrow, which I loved. Yeah. But this episode slowed things down a little bit. It, it's sort of the aftermath of all of the fights from the previous episode. Yes. And we talked about previously, we really like Yelena in the episode. Like, yep, she has yep. an extended scene with Kate Bishop that is absolutely fantastic. Yes. Uh, their girls' night is is just lovely. I was hungry. I made mac and cheese. Yes. So, wait. I have a question. Yep. Have I missed this enti- the entire time? There is a hotter version of Sriracha? Um... I don't know that that's locally available. So there there are different types of... Like, there are different brands of sriracha. Yeah. Because... Okay. So it's not a different intensity. Mm. It's just a different brand. Probably. It's not the green top um, sriracha like, I love. Like, um, no. Uh, although, a close second to the, 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 the classic rooster sauce, if yes. you will. Although that's um, not what we used to call it in college, but okay. No, but but the, the the you know what I'm talking about. The bottle has the big rooster yeah, on it. Yeah, I know what I know what you're talking about. Um, North Carolina brand Texas Pete. Uh, yes, North Carolina brand Texas Pete. Um, also makes a sriracha that's very good. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. So. Uh, so Hawkeye. Yeah, the Hawkeye. Um. So are we going to talk about the reveal? Oh, yeah. The, the worst-kept secret in the MCU? Oh, yeah. The fact that Kate Bishop's mom is a baddie? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, that's part of it. That's 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 part of it. She's cold-blooded, by the way. She just sent, sent Jack, yes. like, down the river. Like, and he, yep. he just, he's yep. over here, idiot self, like, I'm sure it'll be only fine. I'll be back in time for your Christmas party. It's like, I am suave. I have European accent. <laughs> Things are good. <laughs> I love Jack so much. <laughs> yes I, I like that he seems to have just like strolled into the MCU from like the telenovela that was shooting next door <laughs> I like the fact that he's the swordsman well obviously yes swordsman. like that's like yep are we gonna see him have a heroic turn at some point like the swordsman I don't know I don't That'd know. That'd be weird. I, I kind of... He, he's he's just charismatic enough that I kind of want him to have been a patsy this whole time. Yes. Like, not really know what he was in the middle of. Yes. That 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 would be great. And, oh, it's just... It's good stuff. Also just, also just so that whenever the Black Knight inevitably does show up, like, Clint can be like, no, we've already got a sword guy. <laughs> no... <laughs> so wait, if you're not talking about that big reveal, Trey, what could you possibly be talking about? Um, well, I mean, there's there's the big guy. The big the 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 the, the, the big guy and Rusty yeah. the boy robot. Uncle. Oh, uncle. 
uncle, Uncle Ira, yeah, the, the weird cross, the weird Avatar crossover that happens in the middle of the episode for some goddamn reason, like a portal opens up and uh, and like there's a tea party. Uh, um, we should stop dancing. Around <laughs> we should. Stop. Um, of of course, of course, I'm talking about the final shot of the episode, which revealed Vincent D'Onofrio reprising the role of Wilson Fisk, Fisk. aka the Kingpin of Crime, aka Uncle. Um, which, right? You gotta admit, um, seeing as it is the holiday season, uh, Wilson Fisk would be the worst possible uncle to show up at your Christmas dinner. I mean, can you imagine the drunken political conversations? Yes, I can. Or you know, he's like, <laughs> "So I had to have this man killed because he crossed me," and I can't help but notice, Sharon, that you have given me socks. <laughs> You perhaps want to reconsider this. Like, hands <laughs> in the kids' PS5. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, like, he, he has enough of the eggnog, and suddenly, like, every single thing he says starts with the phrase, when I was a boy. I mean, we kind of, we, we knew he was going to show up. We knew it. Oh, worst kept secret in the MCU. Worst kept se- because Vincent D'Onofrio has uh, been tweeting about Hawkeye for some reason. I'm like, hmm. Right, right. Why would Vincent D'Onofrio be tweeting from, about Hawkeye from his private Twitter account? Maybe just a big fan? I did love the, uh, I did love the, the, uh, in credits title, though, that, uh, superimposed the silhouette of the Kingpin over the city. Yes. Yes. Like, he, oof, oof. Like, we don't know how much of the Netflix show's, like, story are going to be canon. We just know that they are carrying over some actors. Of... Right. Well, and, and, and I think as we've talked about, uh, it's already been said that if and when the Daredevil returns to Marvel, he will be played by Charlie Cox. Yes. Yeah. So, it'll be interesting to see if we are getting, like, actual stories for the Netflix show... Um, if we are get, are just getting the actors, and especially interesting, I, I think it's my 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 speculation, and it's purely speculation. But my guess would be that it's going to be sort of like when DC did the New Fifty Two, mm-hmm. and most everything reset. Mm-hmm. But some of the books, the books that were doing really well, did not reset. So, like Batman, didn't fully reboot. Yeah. Um, they just they just didn't go into detail about what had changed exactly. So like like in the early New Fifty Two, Bane and Batman had history. Some version of Nightfall had happened. They weren't going to say exactly what or how or when or how long ago it was or what exactly had happened. But there was some history there. I think the same is going to be true of Kingpin and Daredevil. Like they're not going to go back and retell the the origins of all that. They can just say they have history. You yeah. know. I don't think we're going to get the Finn, whatever his name is, version of Iron Fist. Yeah, I, I probably I, not. I, I feel like they are more than willing to just forget about that for a while. Yeah, well, and I didn't hate that series. It was fine. Honestly, I did, the, the problem with that show was not really the actor. The problem was that they did not have a creative team in place to really do good martial arts fight scenes. No. And apparently Finn Jones did refuse to do any kind of martial arts training for the show. Right. 
So, so that's a problem. Yes. Behind, as far as his performance, as far as his characterization, he didn't bother me so much. But, but yeah, stuff like that, not being willing to do the the physical work, is a problem. Yeah, just a bit. Um, yeah. Um, and, and frankly, now that uh, now that there is a new Iron Fist being introduced in the comics, um, I, I could see them using that as a reason to reassess whether Iron Fist should be an Asian character in the MCU. Yes, which he 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 probably should. He could even you can still do the outsider story and make him Asian American. Yes, you know, and 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 I mean Kunlun is still a foreign place for anyone not from Kunlun. Yes, it's just the blonde-haired, blue-eyed savior is a problematic trope. I mean, it's a pulp adventure trope. It is, and it's a pulp adventure trope that goes back a long way. Yes, like. And I think it might be time for that trope to evolve a little yes, bit. Yes, because let's be, let's be fair here. I adore John Carter. I adore mm-hmm. the John Carter stories. I yeah. grew up on those stories. They're colonialist as oh, hell. colonialist as hell. They're colonialist as hell. Um, I don't, I'm not, I don't, and a lot of that imagery is getting questioned a lot right now. I mean, I'm not sure if you're, yeah. I, I know you don't follow Critical Role at all, but um, they are in a little bit of hot water right now. Because the um, intro theme for their new series um, includes the actors in um, colonial style garb, colonial explorer mm. style garb, and uh, like pith helmets, pith helmets and, and stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah, which you know we love pulp adventures movies like. Well, okay, I like the Mummy. You don't like the 1999 Mummy. Um, it's fine. It's, it's, it's fine. It looked better than five. A little better than five. But like, say, Jungle Cruise or something like that, for a more more sure. recent example. Um, but a lot of people are calling him out on the use of colonialist imagery in their intro. And yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, and it's one of those things where if you're setting something in a certain time period or evoking a certain time period you got to think about how exactly you're going to depict that stuff in a way that is both accurate and respectful. Now, it gets complicated with something like Critical Role, where they're creating a fantasy scenario. Yeah. You know, like, it, it's not it's not explicitly historical. Yeah. And so they have, they have more leeway and probably should, uh, like, think about the choices they're making in terms of the imagery they use. Um, and the same is true for stuff like Iron Fist. Like, um... I think it's fair to say that, that, you know, maybe we don't need a white savior character to come in and be the best martial artist, you know? Yeah, like, um, all of a sudden a white person comes in and he's better than any of these people who've been training their entire lives for this. Right, uh, right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I mean, so, I mean, again, Pulp Adventure, the, the Shadow, basically has the exact same origin. Oh, yeah. Like, he, he crash lands in, quote-unquote, the Orient... Um, and is trained by the Tulku to uh, cloud men's minds or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Hawkeye's real good. I can't wait to see where to go next with it. Um, it, it yeah, we got, what, one more episode? One more episode. I'm not sure how they're going to wrap it all up in, in, in a single hour. Because there's a lot. Yeah, well, I don't think they do. I think they leave a lot of loose ends for other shows and other movies to tie up. Quick quick question before we, before we transition. The Watch. Who do you think The Watch yeah. belongs to? 
at this point, I'm thinking it might be Clint's. Okay. I because it it's it seems like it's connected to the hunt for the Ronin suit and uh, the fact that they're keeping tabs on his family. I think it has some deep, dark, dirty secrets about his wife. Right, right. So I've seen speculation that she might be the MCU version of Mockingbird. Which, sorry, just Shield. Um, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But yeah, could could be interesting because she seems to know mm-hmm. a lot more about the trade than we've previously seen. Oh yeah, like she she does all the background digging on the Sloan Corporation, the the shell company. It just transitions into German, so her kids don't understand what they're talking about. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Although, to, and, be, and to be fair, yeah, my wife and daughter do that too, um, to, make, <laughs> to make sure I don't know what they're talking about. Um, it had not occurred to me that they might be um, ex-agents of the S.H.I.E.L.D., but now I gotta wonder. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna come back with our coverage of... Uh, we're talking about Marvel Spotlight number 17, featuring the Son of Satan. Werewolf by Night number 21, featuring dumb himbo Jack Russell. And <laughs> Creature on the Loose number 31, featuring the Man Wolf. That's right. So we're going to take a quick break, give you some quick promo messages for other shows and just stuff we kind of like. And. We're going to be right back with our coverage of Marvel Spotlight number 17, right after these messages. Andy, I have an amazing idea. Let's do a podcast. We've been talking about doing this for years. That sounds great. So, what should we talk about? Something no one else is talking about. Batman. (sighs) Mike... There are hundreds of Batman shows out there. You used to do one. True. Well, maybe we could do an index show. Are you insane? We both already host those. True again. Okay, maybe we could talk about Batman stories no one else does. Like the Jerry Conway run. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Yeah, we could discuss his entire run and then go into the Doug Mensch run. But we won't be tied down to that. We need to be free to talk about other Batman stories from that era as well. And we could call it The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. Great! The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. New episodes drop on the 14th and 28th of every month. The show and the website, www.overlookeddarknight.com, launch in May of 2017. From the Fortress of Bailitude Podcasting Network. In the 19th century, men set out to explore the ocean depths. No way, Mr. Carter. They never imagined the horrors that awaited them below. <laughs> but the terror had just begun. For they suddenly found themselves prisoners in the lost city of Atlantis. Sid Charisse and Doug McClure in Warlords of Atlantis. Tuesday night at 8 on WGNO 26. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our first issue for today is Marvel Spotlight number 17, In the Shadow of the Serpent. 
Cover date is September 1974. The writer is Steve Gerber. The artist, Jim Mooney. The inker, Sal Trapani. The letterer, Artie Semek. The colorist, Petra Goldberg. And the editor is Roy Thomas. Following last issue, the fire serpent Comites has been unleashed into the sky. St. Louis reporter Dan Crandall sees evidence from around the country showing that chaos is spreading, and he's pretty sure Damon Hellstrom has something to do with it. But Hellstrom, along with Catherine Reynolds and Byron Hyatt, have traveled 20,000 years in the past to the kingdom of Atlantis, where they seek the sorceress Zered Na. But instead, they are immediately taken captive. The king banishes them, but refuses to relinquish Hellstrom's trident, leading the son of Satan to melt his bonds and psychically summon the trident. They escape, steal a boat, and sail for the mainland, where Zared Na has supposedly been exiled. Byron accuses Damon of masterminding the whole scenario as some kind of hypnotic trick, and he suggests that Hellstrom is in league with Satan. Catherine diffuses the situation before it becomes too violent, and the three resume their quest. Using psychic meditation, Damon makes contact with Zared Na, who then summons his spirit to the astral plane. She says that the chaos in Hellstrom's time is not the work of Comites, but the fault of humanity. The Earth is highly sensitive to psychic emanations, and when that psychic energy becomes excessively violent, it puts stress on the primal matrix, the foundation of all life. Arriving at the Matrix, Damon challenges its guardian, Spyros. In the process, Spyros's mask is burned away to reveal the disfigured face of Adam, one of Satan's original victims. During their fight, Spyros strikes Comites with his axe, and back in the present, the Fire Serpent defeated. His mission completed, Damon is guided by Zared Na back through the cosmos to his body, and he awakens just as Atlantis begins to sink and elsewhere, Zared Na is murdered. Solemnly, the three time travelers return to the present, which is now safe from destruction, for now. I was actually surprised at how much I enjoyed this issue. This might be the best issue of Son of Satan we've had. Almost certainly. Now, were previous issues written by Steve Gerber? Uh, no. Um, I think early, the first ones were Friedrich, weren't they? Because they were Ghost Rider spinoff. Yeah, Friedrich. At some point recently, Gerber took... I think Gerber did the last issue. Okay. I'd have to double check. And we saw a change for the better um, then, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking. Yeah, Gerber wrote the last issue. Gerber wrote the last issue. there, too. And the, issue be- and the one before that. Um, basically, uh, sen- I-, I think since this new cast of characters showed up... He wrote the last two or three. Yeah. So I think when when we when we got around to like Byron Hyatt and some of these new characters, that was when Gerber showed. And what I think is interesting is he's tying it into some of these the Man Thing, because didn't, oh yeah, didn't we see the death of Zerina in Man Thing? Yeah, and and, and uh, uh, what's her name? The uh, the recurring character from from Man Thing, like what, the the new Zerid Knob. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jeffrey Hale. Jennifer Hale, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I really like how interconnected the Gerberverse is within the broader Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's like there's this little pocket of continuity that's like all his. And I... It, it, sort, of re- it sort of reminds me of what uh, Grant Morrison would do at DC in uh, the 90s, 2000s. Yeah. I kind of, I really like 
how Damon Hellstrom here is pretty much Steve Gerber's answer to Doctor Strange, even oh, yeah. to the yeah. point of having a Doctor Strange type adventure. Although Gerber points out that astral projection is not usually <laughs> Damon Hellstrom's thing. Right, Zared not has to do it for him. Yep, yep. Um, but, but yeah, this totally, especially the second half, has the vibe of Ditko-era Doctor Strange. Right. Or, or even the stuff that came just after Ditko. Yeah, a little bit of Conan in the beginning. Like, yep, vibes yep. of Conan at the beginning. But then, of course, it moves into Doctor Strange territory to the second half. And it was just a fun ride all the way around. And the artwork is great. Yeah, yeah. Really, the reason to read this book are the visuals. Um, the story's fine. Um, if I have a complaint, it's that there's a lot of things that happen to our characters rather than the characters' actions directing the narrative. Yeah. Like, even defeating the serpent is sort of by chance. Exactly. And um, but, but the visuals go a long way toward making this entertaining. A long way. And... I, I actually enjoyed a Damon Hellstrom book, and I might have said it yeah. last time. I can't remember, but I, I enjoyed it here, and it's a fun little book. Now I know they can't maintain it. For one thing, Steve Gerber's not going <laughs> Steve Gerber's not going to be on this for long. But right. Um, in fact, uh, I will go ahead and point out uh, we are halfway through Son of Satan's time in Marvel Spotlight. Ah, okay. We are at the exact halfway point. Got it. Got it. Yeah. At which point we'll have a revolving door of characters for a minute. Um, some of which we'll cover, some of which we won't. Yeah, I think we follow him to Defenders after that. He ends up in he ends up in Defenders, yeah. Because Gerber's writing Defenders. Yep, and, and it, so Defenders becomes part of the Gerberverse. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think after Hellstrom, um, I think the Scarecrow is in Marvel Spotlight for a minute. Oof. Crap, we gotta cover that. Um, and then soon after that, Moon Knight shows up. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a good book. It, it, it is. I, 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 it's the one I was least for looking forward to reading of the three we're talking about today, but I gotta say, it might be the one I enjoy the most. It might be the most well put together of all these books. But I, I, I think... I think that's true. Well, I think it, it has a really good creative team. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know that I could pick Jim Mooney's art out of a lineup, but he is well-suited to this title. Yep. Yep. Um, one thing I will say, and this is sort of going back to, to weird character stuff, but uh, it took Priest in Training, Byron Hyatt, this long to wonder if maybe the guy with horn-like hair a pentagram on his chest and a flaming trident might somehow be connected to Satan and the thing that made him wonder maybe what if was someone actually saying Satan yep also that, that, that is a that is a new level of density for Marvel supporting characters of the Bronze Age <laughs> Dinsness in the Marvel Universe adamantium this guy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how do we feel about the the like cosmic philosophical? I mean, it's it's very Gerber, but like the was it the the primal matrix as the foundation of all life? I'm okay with it. I mean, it's going to get contradicted by you know everything else it, ever, everything else ever in the Marvel universe at some point. But you know what? Why not? Like, I I just I wanted like 
as Zerid Na is spouting all of this psychic emanations, primal matrix stuff, I wanted, like, the heads of Galactus and the Living Tribunal to pop up behind her and be like, no, it's not. (laughs) Eternity's like, excuse me, what are you doing here? (laughs) It's uh, one of the many conflicting histories in the Marvel Universe, which I... I, I, I Eternity's like, that's not the foundation of of life. That's just my belly button lint or something. Yeah, I, I kind of want to go back and read. Um, I think it's Mark Wade's History of the Marvel Universe to see if this shows up anywhere. <laughs> right, because this is Adam. It is like that. That is the at like Book of Genesis first man Adam. Like, yeah, right, right. Which which they claim him to be Satan's first victim. In my summary, I had I amended that to one of because technically Eve is tempted first. Yes. But Eve's not a victim because she's a woman. But I'm well, that, that's that's the whole stupid original sin thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I, I decided that I was going to exercise some editorial uh, there and and amend the fight against the patriarchy begins at home, children. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a good book. Uh, I didn't read the letters page on this. Was there anything good? Uh, ooh, okay. Uh. Praise for the Catherine Reynolds character as a good supporting character. Um, no, I didn't read. I didn't read the. I didn't read the letters column on this one either. Um, there's an amazing letter later on in the show. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about we'll, that. We'll one. get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Um. That. Um. <laughs> and we've got a Mantis value stamp this time. Ah, uh, Mantis. Inglehart. What the hell were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> They're like when they when they adopt her into MCU. Should we use her comic book origin? Hell no. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I've never been an Engelhart guy. How should we introduce this Vietnamese character? Make her a prostitute? Wow. Yeah. Just in general, like Engelhart's just not. It's like. It's like if you took a Steve Gerber comic and drained most of the fun out of it, you get an Englehart comic. I, I like some Englehart stuff. Some, some, some Engelhart stuff. I, I guess, I, I guess I've what I've read is mostly his early stuff, and it's kind of dry. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But we're not reading any Englehart today. Nope. In fact, so we should probably take a quick break. And come back with our discussion of Creature on the Loose, number 31, featuring the Man-Wolf, right after these messages. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network, dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. On the next MST2K. Oh, well, I believe everywhere. Well, 
Saturday at 5 and 11 p.m. Eastern. Welcome back to Believers. Our next book this episode is Creature on the Loose, number 31. The Beast Within, featuring the Man-Wolf. Cover down this one, as all our books this episode, is September 1974. Writer is Doug Munch. Artist is Greg Tuska. Inker is Vince Coletta. Letterer is Tom Orjachowski. Colorist is Michelle Brand. Editor is Roy Thomas. And I'm going to be honest with this one, guys. I don't have a summary for this one because I'm lazy and I suck. But I'm going to go ahead and do the best I can to do a quick summary. After his fight with Simon Stroud atop the Statue of Liberty, the man-wolf falls to his seeming death, which Simon Stroud takes to mean, okay, I can leave this book book now. But unbeknownst to him, man-wolf is still very much alive, having washed up on shore and transformed back to the form of John Jameson. Jameson has a quick flashback to the previous issues of Spider-Man in which he's appeared before finding his way to the Daily Bugle, where he finds comfort and solace in the arms of his father, who hides him in an inner office we've never seen in a single goddamn Spider-Man comic. Meanwhile, at a military base, uh, maybe Cape Canaveral? Hmm, maybe. Uh, we have some military officials discussing the fact that John Jameson is now considered AWOL, and they must assign the FBI into finding him. Meanwhile, back in New York, John Jameson comes to in his father's inner office, again, if you've ever seen before in the Spider-Man comic, before running out on his father, going to his wrecked apartment, deciding he has to break up with his girlfriend, going to see his girlfriend to break up with her, the cops coming in, arresting John Jameson, and then John Jameson transforming in the back of the police car, causing it to wreck, and the man-wolf to disappear into the night. Oh, to have the overconfidence of a special police task force investigator in a Bronze Age Marvel comic. <laughs> right? Like, ah. Uh. Well, we don't need to look for a body. Nothing could survive that. Let's go home. Yep, nothing could survive this in this universe that we see to be filled with supernatural, super strong, super resilient people. Nothing. Yep. Um, Simon Stroud, he has better things to do than be in this book. Yep. Which, how did I forget about Simon Stroud? I forgot all of Such it. a fun guy. He's such a fun guy. We need more of him. Yeah. He's he he's got a little bit of that early Nick Fury vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So it is Which I think we've talked about before. It is depressing how much this book is recap. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a solid three pages. See, one. Yeah, at least three pages. And that's not and that's on top of the fact that this book is sharing page count with a reprint. So it's already shorter than usual. Right. But also, I l- did a quick peek at our next issue and yeah. like three pages of that are recap yeah. of stuff that's recapped in this issue. Yeah, it, it's not surprising that Manwolf is not long for this book. No, it's a shame. But then we get other weirdness later, which I'm okay with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, and, and this is by far not, I mean... He doesn't go away by any stretch. We've got, I think, six more issues of Creatures on the Loose featuring Man-Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just starts showing up everywhere. Like, he's in Marvel Team-Up. He's in Spider-Man. He's in Marvel Premiere. He's in Fantastic Four. Like, he's all over the place for a while. Nice. And that, and that leads us eventually to him being in uh, She-Hulk. Very eventually. good. Very good. Like, I have always been a fan of John Jameson and his weird 
werewolf personality that doesn't always get touched on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I also just love how, like... Like, it's such a weird thing seeing J. Jonah Jameson's supportive father. Right? Like, it's a side of him we don't see in the Spider-Man book. No, absolutely not. It, At least not until much later when he and Peter have a more familial relationship. Yes. Which, you know, I haven't read many comics. What's John doing these days? Uh, gosh. Um, he is around. I, I know. I, he showed up in something. Um, yeah, because last time I checked, he was, like, married to She-Hulk for a little bit. That's what it was. He, uh, became head of security at Ravencroft. Again? Uh, yeah. Um, he got his old job back. Um, and... Mr. Hyde, as one of the inmates, like, was able to induce a man-wolf transformation. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, there, there was this storyline at Ravenscroft involving John Jameson and Mr. Hyde and Mayor of New York Wilson Fisk, because uh, that's a thing that happened, apparently. Um, and Misty Knight's involved somehow. Okay. This was th- oh, this was part of a Carnage storyline. Because there was all of that like Carnage symbiote stuff going on in New York in the last year or two. Got it. Got it. Also, apparently Norman Osborn is now a consultant for Ravencroft. No. <laughs> that 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 that's not getting well for you, man. Like, it's bad enough that the Kingpin is the mayor, but we gotta have the Green Goblin as a consultant, too. <laughs> Man. Marvel. Yep. Yep. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, so little happens in this book that the Marvel wiki doesn't even have a full synopsis. Yeah. It's like, I hate it, it when They it's... literally just summarize the first two pages and then stop. Yes. Also... I hate it when this happens. The cover image is the last pages of the book. Yeah, it's the ending. Yeah. Yeah. It it technically is not the very ending, but it's pretty close. It's pretty damn close. Although it's a great cover. It is. I understand why they used that image. Yes. It's a great cover. It is very good. Um, You know, I, I, I rag on Gil Kane a lot in this show, but he really knocked it out of the park with this one. Yeah. And, and I will say, I, I, I do think that this book is partly hamstrung by the limitations of being creatures on the loose, as opposed to just being a solo man thing book or man wolf book. Uh, because I, I think the creative team, like Doug Minch, is probably the best choice they have at Marvel right now to do a man wolf title. Like he knows how to hit that sweet spot between horror and weird superhero sci fi stuff. Yep, as evidenced by his work on another uh, moon-based hero who... Gosh, I cannot remember her name right now. Oh, well. I'm sure it wasn't that important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the difference between this book and that later moon-themed book is uh, Greg Tuska is no Bill Sienkiewicz. No, no. Although Tuska does okay here. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's some... There are some really good moments, mm-hmm. but a, a lot of it feels very static. Stiff. 
like yeah like even when the characters even when the characters are clearly in motion they look posed yes yes now that's not always terrible for example the the part where the the man wolf burst out of the te- of the police car that splash page is great oh that's that yes that is good and it does the thing of it evokes the cover without just drawing the cover again yes or photo sampling the cover, which I've seen too, which is just oh, yeah. weird. Yeah, seems like the latest uh, thing possible. I, I, I am, I'm excited about the next issue because I think Manwolf versus Craven the Hunter could be fun. Oh yeah, really fun. Although, uh, I will ask: Are these cops dead? Probably. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's the, it's Marvel, so maybe not. But like. The whole front end of the car smashes into a brick wall. Yeah. So Manwolf basically just killed some cops. Yeah. Not. He probably won't be okay with that once he stops being wolfy. Yeah, probably not. It's 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 not a good look for him. Yep. Oh dear. So, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, because not a lot happens in this book, not a whole lot to say. Like, we, we don't really have a supporting cast yet. We've got the fiancé, but she is almost a non-entity because of how quickly he tries to break things off and gets pulled away from her. Mm-hmm. Um, J, uh, J. Jonah Jameson, I guess, is supporting, but, like, we also only get that one page or so of him. You're right. Simon Stroud... Simon Stroud felt like he was going to be a big recurring character last time, but in this one, he only appears for about a page. Yep. Like, I, I, I think I think this goes back to what we were saying before. It all feels very truncated. Yeah, like, the Simon Stroud we saw in the previous issue would not have just walked off. No. He'd been like, ah, now... Honestly, I've, yeah. And now I've got to investigate. Right, right. That would have kicked off a whole new, like, cat and mouse chase. Yep. Apparently, um, we're not doing that. And that would have been so much more interesting than the three pages of recap. Oh, definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. It's just... Uh, it's frustrating. Because, yeah. like, last issue, we had this slam-bang action, and this issue is just like, recap, escape from a uh, police car. Right. Right. So... It reminds me a little bit of the frustration I felt when I tried reading some of the old Silver Age split books like when uh, like Hulk and Namor were sharing a title. Okay. Um, in that, like, because of the truncated page count for each story, like, Hulk would... It, it was sort of the old 30s movie serial thing. It would begin with the end of the action sequence from the previous issue and it would only go as far as the next big action sequence. And so you always felt like you were not getting a full story. You were getting, like, this truncated uh, meandering from action set piece to action set piece. Okay. I got you. Um, Also, see old serials. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the old uh, pulp movie serial thing does does sort of the same thing. Um, Good serials do it well. And the good split books did it well. Um, Captain America Iron Man was usually pretty good at handling that format. Yeah. 
but um, this is like. But I re- I remember parts of the Hulk book being especially jarring, and, and this has a similar jarring feeling. So really, there is hope for these two cops because you know how often in movie serials we see a car go off a cliff and we're like, oh, there's no way to survive that, and then to find out in the next chapter, oh, they leaped out at the last moment. Right. The car rolls down the side of the cliff and explodes in the cavern, be- in the the, cha- the chasm below, and then the next one opens, and they're just standing next to the wreckage. Yep. <laughs> oh well. So, so that's Manwolf. Indeed, it is. I, I do still have hope for the title. I mean, again, knowing that it only lasts six more issues suggests that things are not going to get a whole lot better. Or if they do get better, it won't be fast enough to turn around the the readership. Oh no, because we get George Perez at one point on this title. That's true. He and, and that's within the next few issues. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And yeah. with George Perez, it goes to a weird place. Oh yeah, yeah, that's going to be the fun stuff or the beginning of the fun there stuff with with Manwolf. That makes it different from uh, another Werewolf by Night book. Right, right. Because that's the thing is you could taking out J. Jonah Jameson. You could replace Stroud with Hackett and John Jameson with Jack Russell, and you don't have to change anything else in the story. I have some thoughts on Hackett in a little bit, and I was going to bring Simon Stroud into yeah. it, but we'll talk more about that. In a- I, I actually do, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> so let's go ahead and take a quick break, play yep. some promos, and yep. we'll be right back with our concluding issue for this episode, Werewolf by Night. 21. Blackjack. <laughs> if you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. kinds of people in this world. Those who believe and those who will. When the world isn't the same as our minds believe. He's here, I can tell, I can feel it. Then we are in a nightmare. You found me, didn't you? What in the world's happening? And nothing is worse than a nightmare. I know you don't believe this. One of mine, aren't you? I don't know what to believe. My daddy taught me. You can stand up to anything. If you got the guts to look it in the eye, come to kill me. Lock the door. If you can look it in the eye, many survive. This maniac, this animal, whatever it is. Oh, God. If you can look it in the eye, worry to death every night. No, 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 no. Two more kids were killed last night. Yes, it's already begun. Werewolf. Tonight, we hunt. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our third and final title for today is Werewolf by Night, number 21, One Wolf's Cure, Another's Poison. Cover date is September 1974. The writer is Doug Mensch. The artist is Don Perlin. The inker is Vince Coletta. The letterer is Artie Samek. The colorist, Petra Goldberg. And the editor, Roy Thomas. On the first night of the full moon, Jack Russell has locked himself away in the home of Buck Cohen to protect the people he cares about from the werewolf. However, 
Upon transforming, the beast rips the bars off the window and escapes, leaving Buck Cohen to wonder at what has happened. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Hackett has gone to the home of Geraldo Cabal for answers about the mysterious ring he was given from Joshua Kane's estate. Unsatisfied with Cabal's non-answers, Hackett engages in a bit of police brutality, prompting an expository flashback from Cabal. According to Kane, the trunk and its arcane contents were over 800 years old and originally belonged to Mad Monk Alfric, the author of the Darkhold. Cabal also reveals that the ring is part of a set and that Jack Russell took the second one. Enraged, Hackett hits Cabal again, and the lieutenant transforms into a werewolf. He kills Cabal and flees from the scene on the hunt for Jack Russell. Elsewhere, the werewolf by night has instinctively returned to Jack's apartment building. At the same time, Jack's neighbor Raymond Coker, misnamed here as Paul for some reason, has failed to contain his own lycanthropic curse and also transformed into a werewolf. Now united with common cause, the two werewolves go on the prowl until Hackett stumbles upon them. Hackett transforms as well, and the three werewolves brawl their way to a smelting plant. Hackett gains the upper hand and is about to kill Jack when Ray pushes Hackett into the molten steel. Suddenly, Ray becomes human again. Having killed another werewolf, his curse has been lifted. Once again alone, the werewolf by night stalks into the moonlit night. Jack Russell will return in Giant Size Werewolf number two. Oh boy. <laughs> um, I take it back. I don't want characters' actions controlling where the narrative goes. <laughs> let's wrap up all time. Let's, ra- let's wrap up all subplots. Let's wrap up all subplots. Let's uh, wrap up all subplots to do something different later. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, Lieutenant Hackett wishes he was Simon Stroud. Right? Because originally he was kind of like a Simon Stroud type figure. Yeah. And he went so quickly from being an interesting foil for Jack Russell Mm -hmm. to being an insufferable jerk making inexplicable decisions. Yep. Exactly. It's just, okay, we're going here. Because early on it felt like kind of the dynamic of... What's his name? The reporter from the Incredible Hulk TV show. McGee. McGee, yeah. Constantly, like, on the hunt for the monster, but always a little too far behind the action to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. But... And they could have kept that going for a while. Here, he just turns sadistic villain. Yeah. Like, he's gonna... Yeah, like, I, I joked about it, but he, like, goes from zero to police brutality in, like, two sentences. Like, he gets a little bit of power, and all of a sudden, he's just, like, ripping dudes' throats out. And and I feel like all of that could have been fixed with one caption saying that the ring was having an effect on his personality. Right. Right. This ring that I'm pretty sure he got at the bottom of the cereal box. <laughs> it does kind of look... It, it, well, it looks like a Cracker Jack prize. Right? It looks like not only is it a ring will turn you into a werewolf, but if you put your lips to it, it's a whistle. <laughs> <laughs> And it changes color under warm water. Um, fascinating that I didn't I didn't think about this when I was reading because I didn't read them in this order. But uh, Doug Mensch wrote both of our werewolf books this this week. Oh, that is interesting. He's on Werewolf by Night and Manwolf right now. Weird. 
It's you know, yeah. it's really it's really odd that they thought to bring him in when I thought writing two werewolf tiles when of course a natural um, choice for that sort of thing would be Marv Wolfman. Well, obviously. <laughs> oh, but but also, didn't they already make that joke? Oh, almost certainly. Has, <laughs> it been, has that been a joke for like fifty years now? Right, right. Um, and of course, Minch will stay on Werewolf by Night for a while because he will introduce Moon Knight. Yep. How far are we? We're, we're like, we're, we're still like 50 issues out from Moon Knight, right? Oh, no, 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 no. We're getting very close. What? We are very, very close. Um, we're at, we're in what, issue 21? 21, yeah. Moon Knight debuts in 32. Son of a biscuit. Um, also, since I've been giving updates on the other titles, um, we are at the exact halfway point of Werewolf by Night. Oh, okay. Um, the issue, the, the, the book runs for something like 42 or 43 issues. Okay. Gotcha. So we are halfway through. Um, minus, uh, granted, we've got giant size werewolf. We, there's other stuff to cover with Jack Russell. But yeah. In terms of, in terms of this title, we're at the halfway point. In fact, doesn't he still have a sto- like text story in Monsters Unleashed or something? I can't remember if that wrapped up or not. I mean, either. I can't remember. I don't think I liked it well enough to care. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so again, we've got another like book where there's at least one full page of flashback interrupting the narrative. Mm-hmm. At least this is not flashback to things we've seen before. No, no. And it's great that we saw Buck Cohen again. For that one page, yes. One page, not looking like himself, but uh, whatever. But now that now that uh, Hackett is out of the equation, and it seems like uh, Coker is out of the equation, maybe we'll get back to our original supporting cast. Yeah, that'd be nice, and not you know have the Three's Company hijinks at the dormitory or apartment building or whatever the heck it is. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. It's a, uh, Cohen is off model. They get Coker's name wrong. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in this book. Yes, I still can't get over the fact they made a black guy a black werewolf. Just, yeah, they, they did. Oh man, it'd be one thing if they just made every werewolf a different color to make them like easier to distinguish. But like Hackett as a werewolf is virtually indistinguishable from Jack. Yes, he he is a blonder brown. He, it's a little bit blonder. Um, like, if you squint, you can tell the difference. Yes. But but they look very, very similar. If this was a black and white essentials, I'd be lost. Yeah. Yeah. Like, very... And I guess the, I guess the, I guess the idea is that whatever the human's hair color is sort of determines what the werewolf looks like. Yeah, just some, some variation in werewolf design. Like, maybe... Because Hackett is this huge dude, maybe he should be a little bit bigger than Jack Russell. Yeah. Or, you know, some variation, because they're, they're not the same body type. Right. And yet, when they're werewolves, they're almost indistinguishable yes. in terms of shape. Yes. Um, also, it's interesting that all of the werewolves in Werewolf by Night all basically look alike, whereas Manwolf is so much more dog-like, like with the snout and everything. Yeah. Hey, wait... Did we ever get an explanation of how Coker became a werewolf? 
There was a flashback. It's... Yes. I don't remember what it was, but yes. Because... Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I the, the wiki does not go into any detail about that, about his backstory. Presumably because we never see him again. Oh, no, but we do. Yeah, he's got more appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, he continues appearing basically until the end of the series. Yep, he does. Up through, like, issue 41 or something. Yep. I wonder if... I wonder if he makes it his mission to try and help Jack Russell tame the beast. Like, uses the spells and, and potions that he knows to try and help. Maybe. Which, okay, fine. I mean, that's that's basically what Topaz used to do before she disappeared. Yeah. Speaking of Topaz, um, <laughs> people in the letters column are not happy she has left the book. Well, that's understandable, because she left the book in, like, a really dumb, stupid way. <laughs> in fact, a lot of the letters columns that, we're re- that we see are letters in the letters column this month agree with a lot of the things we've been saying about the book. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, James? Yes? I am the forest. (laughs) So, for those of our readers who didn't read the letters column, Trey is referring to a bonkers uh, letter here from Gregory Binica? Something like that. Arg. And, And he is the forest. Arg. My name is Gregory Benica from the forest. The forest. Yeah, I'm here because I'm not a werewolf. I'm just from the forest. That is why I'm writing to you. I am from the forest, and I know Jack Russell. I wish you would keep him out of the forest, because I am from the forest. You understand? Don't let Jack get anywhere near the forest, because I am from the forest. I am there, in the forest, because I am from the forest. I am always in the forest. The forest is my home. Jack has an apartment. Let him stay there. He doesn't need to bother me in the forest. Thank you. From the forest, where I am. Gregory Bittica, the Ware Tree, the Forest, California. <laughs> <laughs> and the response was, where did you say you were from, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's a fun letter. <laughs> yes. Uh, that That's why. It reminded me a little bit of... Uh, uh, the intro to... Do you remember the the 90s Swamp Thing TV show? <laughs> no, but you're going to remind me. The swamp is my world. It is who I am. It is what I am. I was once a man. I know the evil men do. Do not bring your evil here. I warn you. Beware the wrath of Swamp Thing. <laughs> that was the opening credits every week. Oh, I just thought you were introducing yourself. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but but that was kind of that was kind of the feeling I got reading that letter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But besides that, um, besides that letter, because unfortunately right. we are not the forest. We could we would never even no. dare uh, dream to be the forest. We're nowhere near the forest. Uh, but they talk about the fact that the committee are really boring villains, which, yeah, they are. They are. And they continue boring. to be. And the only good thing about the committee ever is they're involved in uh, the introduction of Moon Knight. Oh, gosh darn it. 
so yeah, Marvel's going to double down on the committee before they go away. Okay. Um, so, so we will get more of them. Um, I think that's what's funny about this letters column, though, is like fans presenting understandable grievances about like the direction of the title, mm-hmm. and Marvel just kind of and Marvel just kind of being like, yeah, but no, we're going to do it anyway. Well, they they say like, yeah, you're right, and we're going to move more towards supernatural threats or yeah, mystical supernatural threats rather than say which sci-fi supernatural, which they've kind of been doing, kind of. I mean, lately it's been all werewolves all the time, but... Yeah, and we're still not... Like, was the committee linked to the rings at all? Uh, yeah, sort of. Um, Joshua Kane was linked to the committee. Joshua Kane was linked to the committee. Oh, and we found out that Kane and Hackett apparently were old friends. We went hunting apparently. together. Yeah, yeah. Which, okay, so you... Just that, that, really, that really fleshes out those two characters, doesn't it? Yeah. So, okay, Hackett isn't just turned to an a-hole because of the ring. He's always been an a-hole. Got it. Right. No. Right. Um, yeah. I cause, cause, So, Kane was the actor, right? Kane, no. Kane he was, was the one the at the Hollywood studio. Kane okay. was the hunter who was camping out in the studio. Okay. Which apparently okay. was still a working studio, even though he lived there. Right. Like, I guess he's just camping out in a bungalow. Right. Which I can understand um, if you're, like, a star or a writer or something, but you, sir, are a hunter. Why the hell are you hanging out at the movie studio? Yeah, be- because he's great value craven. <laughs> what do you say, boy? <laughs> <laughs> he's if craven was a supporting character in a Burt Reynolds movie from the 70s. <laughs> oh, played by, a, played by a country music star. Um... Who's the one who was in that, um, the, 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 the trucker movie that was on MST3K? You know what I'm talking about. Oh, gosh. About. I, I know what you're... I can't think of the guy's name, but yes. Yes. Um, so, James, I, I, I previewed this in at the end of my summary, that our next Jack Russell appearance will not be Werewolf by Night, but instead will be uh, Giant Size Werewolf number two. Yes. Um... Have you looked at the cover for Giant Size Werewolf number two? Oh, it's got a Frankenstein there, don't you know? Yeah, we we have our official sort of joining of Monster of Frankenstein into the proper Marvel universe. Yep, yep. It should be. I mean, it should be good stuff. Uh... Yeah. I mean, you, you want like horror slash supernatural threats? Like, there we go, right? Jim Stafford. Yeah. Jim Stafford was the was the dude I was thinking of. <laughs> who played um, Buffalo Bill Joe Higgins in the film Riding with Death, which was covered in um, an episode of MST3K, um, Season 9, Episode 14. Ah, uh, yes. That's, that was a Mike episode. Yeah, Mike episode. Yep. But it was the trucker who could also turn himself invisible. Right, right. Yeah. And that dude was the comic relief trucker sidekick. He's also a country <laughs> singer and a race car driver. So, getting back to Werewolf by Night for a minute. Oh, is that what we're talking th- about? This book, t- th- this book takes place in and around, like, L.A., right? Yes. 
Like, like, like Jack Russell's apartment is in L.A. Yes. They got a lot of steel smelting plants in the middle of Los Angeles. Like, that's is that a thing they do in the urban metropolitan area? It would explain the smog. <laughs> that just seemed odd to me. That like they're they're like fighting in the streets of Los Angeles, and then suddenly they're at a smelting plant. It's the Gotham theory of um, zoning laws. Yeah, yeah. This this bank is going to be right next door to this giant typewriter factory. I mean, that's that's how you get so many like mutated villains, right? Is is got all that industrial waste going straight into residential communities. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. It's... I, I brought it up at the last um, city council meeting. Uh, I got nowhere. There's going to be hell to pay someday. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's... This issue's fine. Like, it, it t- like, like we said at the beginning, it ties up some loose ends. Yes. You know, it, get, it gets rid of some characters that we weren't really feeling hot on anyway. To the point where I thought, like, a new writer was coming in, or a new writer just came in, but apparently it's just... Yeah. Like, hey, I want to go somewhere else with this, so let's wrap up these stories. Yeah, and and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's not the most engaging story ever, but it at least suggests a new direction, right? Yeah. And next issue we get with, we get Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I just looked ahead to uh, to the next Werewolf by Night covered. It's pretty generic. Anyway, uh, I guess that brings us to the end of another episode of Tomb of Ideas. That's right. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I-, I think you're right. Having talked through all three of these issues, amazingly, surprisingly, unexpectedly, the standout issue was Marvel Spotlight 17. Son of Satan. Yeah. It just... Uh, it, 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 it's mind-boggling. I mean... Who made a deal with the devil to make that happen? Um, Steve Gerber. <laughs> yeah, that explains so much. <laughs> but yeah, good stuff. Um, and, you know, not that either of the other two was bad. They just didn't do as much. Right. Right. Anyway. Uh, yeah. If you want to contact us, and I know you do. You can always reach us at our email address, tombofideas at gmail.com, or on Twitter, at tombofideas. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash tombofideas, and we are proud. I mean proud, like I'm getting it tattooed on my ass. Members of the Cinepunks podcasting group. That's right. That means that if you go to cinepunks.com, that's cinepunks with an X, you will find our entire back catalog, along with episodes of the main Cinepunks show, also Horror Business, Cinema Smorgasbord, and a whole bunch of other great stuff, including movie reviews, music reviews, uh, articles, discussions about all manner, all manner of pop culture. So check out Cinepunks.com. I'm just waiting until I have a good picture of Liam to show the artist. <laughs> yeah. But until next time, Tomb Believers... Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Lovers. 
Just 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 because. Do you remember the the bottle of sriracha hidden in the um in the wardrobe in in the Preston lobby? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's just like uh, people just keep on refreshing it. <laughs> yep. Um, also, uh, whenever there was a group trip to uh, Blue Cactus, um, may that restaurant rest in oh, peace. Oh God, I miss Blue Cactus um, so much. Like. If enough, if enough Preston people sat at a table, they just knew to go ahead and put the sriracha on the table. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, you're right. <laughs> they did. Oh, I used to, I used to bathe the spicy pork in sriracha sauce. And the thing is, mm-hmm. the spicy pork is already hellaciously spicy in the first place. See, I, I used to do that, like. I used to do that with the the kimchi pork. Oh, um, to the point that they would argue with me because I'd be like, "No, no, I want it because because the kimchi pork already could only be made medium plus or higher." Mm-hmm. And I would tell them, "No, no, I want it spicy." And they would try to like argue with me. It's like, "No, you don't." Like <laughs> <laughs> we, we because clearly they have had enough people who ordered it and then said, "No, that's too spicy. I can't eat it." I'm sorry. That they just, like, didn't want to You do not send back food at Blue Cactus. I agree. You soldier through like, and cry. Yes. And you might go through, like, an entire pitcher of ice water. But but you do it. Like, multiple... That's why that's why they serve ice cream, is so you can, like, diffuse the spiciness afterwards. Red bean ice cream. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. I cannot tell you how many times I have I sat at a table at Blue Cactus just crying. Like... Tears streaming down my face. Keep on eating, because I know I got red yep. bean ice yep. cream at the end. Mm-hmm. 